Happy Easter morning. Um, feels like we've been here for six hours already, doesn't it? <laughs> Seven o'clock. Well, it is good to be in God's house, and we're thankful that um, you were here this morning. It's a good way to spend Easter morning, to be with God's people in God's house. There are lots of things people can do on a day like today, amen? amen. But there is no better thing to do on a day like today. Glad to have you here this morning. Um, we're going to be reading the beginning this morning in Philippians chapter 3, um, beginning at verse 7 this morning. Let me uh, begin by saying, um, normally Easter Sunday morning is, uh, you come really prepared. This morning, the Holy Spirit just sort of changed everything. And so I'm preaching on the cuff this morning. I made a few notes, but pray for me. Uh, God has a purpose, amen? We don't always know what He's doing, but I'm sure thankful He knows what He's doing. And um, so this morning, Easter is a special time for me. Um, it's a special time for all of Christendom, I know, but it's my spiritual birthday. It's the day that I got saved. 1981. That's a few years ago for some of you. Not so many for some of you. Uh, but um, it's a special day for me. And uh, in our Sunday school class, one of the things we were talking about is that the Christian life is not a static life. It's not a life that you come to and arrive at and then coast the rest of the way through. The Christian life is a life that is always calling you to a higher plane. If you're here this morning and you've arrived at, as a Christian, I'd sure like to talk with you after the service because there's a lot I could learn. But for the rest of us who are still recognizing a need to grow, um, that hasn't changed for me. I'm still growing. God is still working in my life, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited. Uh, you know, it's, an, it's a wonderful thing to be able to come to the Word of God and expect to, know, to find out something you didn't know. It's not that it hasn't been known. It, hasn't, it isn't that everybody else doesn't know it, but I don't know it. At least I don't know it in the way that God wants to apply it to my life. And so there's a continual desire and an urge in my life, and I hope it's true in your life, that you want more. You want to know more about the life of Christ and what it means to you, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Our life depends on that as Christians. Amen? Otherwise, we could be just anything in the world. But if we're Christians, if we're followers of Christ, then one of the things we need to do is we want to follow Christ in this life. That's the reason it's important that he's alive this morning. Amen? Can't follow a dead person. We're not following a dead person. Jesus is alive. And every day he applies his word to my life in new ways. So I want to begin this morning by saying what we're talking about here this morning is what does it mean to be a Christian if Jesus is alive? In verse uh, 9, I think, is where we were, no, 7, verse 7. But what things were gained for me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now Paul has undergone a, a vast change in his life. Paul was a, a, a Jew among Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was chief among the Pharisees. He was one of a kind. He studied in the best schools of his day. His teacher's name was Gamaliel. Even today, scholars point back to Gamaliel as an amazing kind of teacher in the Jewish faith in the days of Paul. He was the guy, he was the Harvard or the Yale or the whatever kind of school that you went to if you were a Jew in, Jay, in Paul's day. So Paul had this vast knowledge of the Jewish faith, of the Torah, of the Old Testament. Paul knew his Old Testament. But this is what he says, but what things were gained for me, 
All that I had invested in my previous life, I count them as a loss that I might win for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the what of Christ? Knowledge of Christ. Let me just give you a bug, put a bug in your ear. This morning, if you come and you think you know Jesus, you're wrong. You may know a lot about him, but you're just speaking in human terms. We're talking about the eternal one, the one who was in the beginning and who spoke worlds into existence, the one who came and lived 33 years on this earth and died a willing death at the Father's bequest to cover the sins of a lost world, three days later was raised from the dead, sits at the Father's right hand forever, being a mediator for us. Don't come telling me this morning that you know Jesus. Paul says, I count everything a loss that I might know Him. That the possibility exists, I might know more about Jesus. Do you have that kind of hunger this morning? To know Him. To know Him. Paul did. And we should. Jesus isn't a statistic. He's not somebody that just lives in history. He's alive today. He's alive today. I I love that song, My Redeemer Lives. You ever heard Nicole sing that song? She gets to that place where she sings, He lives, and I, I spoke to Him this morning. And man, I about, go, I about jump through the roof. Because what a reality that is. There are times whenever He is nearer and dearer to me than any person I know. Because He thrills my soul in the very deepest parts of where I live. And there is this welling up in me, the certainty that He's alive and He loves me and He cares for me. (laughs) Easter's a wonderful time because we serve a risen Savior. And I want to know Him. That I might, if I can see here, hold on a second. It's not good when you tear up and you can't see. All things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, refuse by comparison, that I might win Christ. And the win there means that I might gain Him, that I might, with all of my effort, get Jesus. (laughs) I just want Jesus. I just want Him. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Paul says, I've been there. I was a great rule keeper. I knew all the rules and kept them all. Paul went, went on to say, as, as a matter of fact, I'm such a good law keeper, rule keeper. According to the law, I was blameless. Now, how many of you this morning can say, according to the law, I'm blameless? I want you to see what company you're in. According to the law, I'm blameless, Paul said. But he says, I don't want that kind of righteousness which is by the law because it's not good enough. As a matter of fact, he says, I treat it like it was nothing. It's refuse. That's the comparison Paul makes. That which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may, what again? Know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that 
for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. How many of you this morning are followers of Christ? Do you know why? Do you know this, first of all? Do you know that you did not come to Christ because you wanted to? Bible doesn't teach that you can come. Matter of fact, the Bible plainly says you will never come to Jesus because you want to. The Holy Spirit has to come, become active in your life, and there has to be a reason why God wants you or you would never be gotten. The, the word here is apprehended. He says, I want to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. In other words, Paul recognizes that God had a purpose why he called Paul and why he called Mark and why he called you. There was a reason why Jesus said, this one is one of mine, I want him. Do you know what that reason was? Paul says, I want to find out what that is. I would guess that there are lots of people here this morning, maybe, who would say, Pastor Mark, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. In a spiritual sense, there are probably lots of people who this morning really don't know why God chose them. Paul said there is a reason why God chose you. You should know what that is. Why are you a part of this fellowship? What is God's purpose for you here? Do you know that? You say, well, I can't sing. Well, I can't teach. Well, I can't this and I can't that. Boy, people can't do much of anything until they have to, and then they can do just about everything. Paul says that I want to know Jesus and I want to know why he wants to know me. I think that's a pretty good place for us to start. That's a sidebar because what I really want to talk about this morning is he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? What does it mean to come to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection? You know, our, there, there is a wonderful part of Christendom that, that all of us know and love. We just went through it in, in this, the Holy Week. You have Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and then Saturday that's sort of hidden away. And then the first day of the week. And we come right through that. And even on Easter Sunday morning, we spend a lot of time talking about his death and his burial. And then we kind of touch on his resurrection. Because for a lot of us, we really don't know what does that have to do with us? I mean, we, we accept that Jesus rose from the dead and we're thankful that's, that's great. But what does it mean to me? I mean, what, what really has touched me in my life is that Jesus came and he died for me. Boy, that's, that's wonderful news. I was a sinner. I was, my life was stained by sin and I was separated from God. But Jesus came and he died for lost sinners and he paid the price for me. And because he died for me, I can have a right relationship with him. Paul doesn't say, I want to know him in the power of his death. He says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. What does that mean for Christians? If I look at the church today, what I find is that there are a whole lot of people who revel, and, and rightly so, and a Savior who came and paid the price for their sin. And that's a wonderful thing that He did for us. Because none of us could have right relationship with God except that Jesus made it possible by dying for us. But here's the problem. If we all went to heaven as soon as we accepted that, things would be fine. 
But there's nobody here ready for that to happen. We're ready to have our sins forgiven on Sunday when we come to church, but then on Monday we go back out in the world and we face the reality that there is still something wrong with us. Our sins have been forgiven. Those past things that we've done have been forgiven, but we find ourselves having coming back to the cross again and again and saying, Lord, I messed up again. I keep, I keep, there's something wrong with me. Lord, I know you forgave me, and I trust you, your work on the cross. I know it's a finished work, but, but there's still something wrong in my life. I don't have the ability to live even like Paul said he did before you died. There are too many of us who live a failed Christian life. A life that is filled with failure and over and over again. We do the same kind of things. There's a a besetting sin maybe or two or three. A lot of things that we've given up and we put away, but there are some things in our life that we still haven't gotten victory over and we deal with them over and over again. We don't have victory there. If I were to ask you a question this morning, is that what Jesus came to bring us? A life that leaves us with a sense of failure day in and day out. I will not ask anybody here if you understand what I'm talking about because I know the truth is most of us would raise our hands. Because life is tough. Life is hard. We don't live in a world that gives us a break because we've decided to trust Jesus for our salvation. So we don't get a break when it comes to temptation. As a matter of fact, the truth is, maybe things that never bothered you before, when you become a Christian, suddenly you can't seem to get away from them. You know what I'm talking about. Amen? Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Because the answer's there. Go back to Romans chapter 6. Y'all know this passage. You probably read it pretty often. It's a famous passage in the Bible. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? Can we use that for an excuse? Lord, I plead the blood. Would you please cover my sins again? Oh, thank you for the grace to forgive me again. Lord, I'm sure great. I'm for sure grateful for your mercy and grace. Because it means I can keep on sinning and you keep on forgiving. Oh, wait, I didn't read the next verse. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? No, you're not. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, you know, there, we were talking about in Sunday school this morning the things that we know have a whole lot to do with our faith because you can't have faith in things you don't know. Not in a real sense, if you're going to have a faith that really makes a difference in your life, then you have to have faith that's invested in facts. You have to know something. Then you can say, this I know, and I'm going to stake my life on this. My faith is grounded in this. Amen? You don't have a this to stake your faith in. Your faith is going to be all over the place. You're not sure what you really believe. There are lots of Christians like that today. They got saved And they walked away from the altar and they had everything they wanted. 
and they lived just like they wanted to live the rest of their life. That is not why they were apprehended. And they need to know for what reason they were called by Christ to the cross. It was to live a holy, pure life. Let me say that again. It was to live a holy, pure life. Shall we, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? As many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now there's some place to stake a claim. Paul doesn't say, for as many as you of you who were baptized into his death, maybe it'll make a difference in your life. That's not what he says. He says, everyone who was baptized into Christ was baptized into his death. Now, we, we, we talk a lot about the substitutionary death of Christ, where he goes to the cross because you aren't worthy to go to the cross. You are a sinner. He went as the perfect sacrifice a sinless Lamb of God, was killed and crucified, His blood poured out as an atonement for us. We believe in the substitutionary death of Christ. He died a death that you're not worthy to die. Amen? You were in sin. You couldn't pay the price. He did. But there's another death. There's a co-death. Because when Christ died, He took you with Him. See, there's an old man in us. There is a sin nature in us. There is a, 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 a deep down inside of us, there's a spiritual warfare going on that begins all the way back in the Garden of Eden whenever they ate the fruit, and God said, as soon as you eat the fruit, and the day that you eat the fruit, you're dying. That's your spiritual death. Adam lived a long time after that, but he died that day, and so did we in him. We died a spiritual death, and we were born dead. The, the possibility that we could have life, a relationship with God, did not exist until Jesus came and paid the price for us. But it wasn't enough just that he died for you. He said, that won't fix your problem. Because your problem is, you have a, a sin nature that has to be dealt with. I can take care of all the sins, but what about the sin? Paul says, writing to the church there at Romans, in Rome, he said, if you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death, you died when Christ died. Do you see why it's necessary for him to die? He could have cut himself real bad and bled for us. But he had to die because we had to die. Now some of us here this morning have never considered that we must be dead before you can have a new life. Amen? We expect for things to change, but we've never accepted the fact that we needed to die. Let me ask you this question, and I don't expect anybody to really answer it, but how many of you, when you became a Christian, decided you were going to live a new kind of life? You're going to try real hard to be a disciple of Jesus and failed. You know why? You weren't equipped to be a follower of Christ. The disciples were good followers of Jesus right up until they faced real hardship. Amen? Then, boy, they scattered like a flock of quail. That's a bird for some of you. <laughs> I'm getting so old that sometimes I have to remember there are people who have no idea what I'm talking about. Any of you guys know what a covey of quail is? No, I don't mean y'all are old enough. Y'all know what that is. Y'all any young people know what a covey of quail is? Now they're all looking at me like, I don't know. That's what I thought. A covey is like a group, quails or birds, so you'd have a covey of quail. They used to call them covey of quail. If you walked up on one in the field, they would scare you to death because they wait till you get about three feet away, and then you go, like this. You jump about three feet in the air. Them and pheasants. That's a whole other story. 
we have to be recognizing ourselves as dead in Christ when we're baptized. You know, in baptism, we don't do a very good job of explaining what baptism is. I'm sorry, I'm a Wesleyan all my life. I'm disappointed in the way the church talks about baptism. We think it, we, we come to it like it's just an external sign of the inner work. But Paul says there's a lot more that you need to know about what happens when you're baptized. Yes, you are making a statement, but it's a statement of faith about a fact that's happening in the spiritual realm that, that absolutely is happening. It's a fact. It has happened. When you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his death spiritually. The whole spiritual realm looks at that as going, the old man has died. Now, here's the problem. You have a choice as to whether you submit to that reality or you keep living the old life. Because he does not, the Holy Spirit in your life does not change anything you don't expect to be changed, that you don't know is going to happen, and you are asking and expecting it to happen as a fact in your life, then the Holy Spirit has room to work in your life. If, they, if, the, if the Lord Jesus had told them to go back to the upper room, the disciples, and just stay there and pray, what do you think would have happened? Nothing. He said, listen, go back, and you're... The, the promise of the Father is going to come. You're going to be endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is going to fall on you. And if, when you pray, you just wait for this to happen. They went expecting it and received it. Because it's what they were expecting. They had faith for it. Amen? Your life is built on faith. That's not new, is it? My question is, what's your faith for? What do you believe in? Paul says you need to believe this. But that's not all. Look into what else he says. For he that is, this is in verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. If you join Christ in his death, you are freed from sin, Paul says, from the power of sin in your life. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let therefore sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Paul says two things you've got to remember. If you were baptized into Christ, you're dead with Jesus, so that when he is raised to new life, you can have new life. If you don't die, you don't see yourself dead with Jesus first, you can't have new life till the old life is finished. Amen? Do you see these two things? You have to know this. You have to believe this before it becomes a reality in your life. If you're struggling with sin in your life and you're a Christian, read this chapter over and over again. Claim the promises. Say, this is what you've promised me. I believe it. And start letting the Holy Spirit guide your life. By the way, folks, this is what Easter's about. That he rose from the dead so that we could have life. Not sinful life, but a righteous life. A life of obedience in, to please the Father. I want to go one more place. This is Ephesians chapter 1. This is my favorite passage. I love this passage. 
If I was here very much, you'd get tired of it. Verse 16, he's talking about, um, this is chapter 1 of Ephesians. He says, I'm going to, I just don't cease in praying for you. And I want you to listen, verse 17. This is what he prays. How many of you know this is, it's in the Bible? So this is a pretty good prayer. And Paul never prays something that isn't a possibility for us. I mean, he always prays what is a, an absolute possibility for you. It isn't absolutely going to happen because it's up to us. Amen? God ain't going to do anything you don't want him to do. If you don't want it, you don't want it more than what you have now, you won't get it. God isn't going to force anything on you. So, verse 17, I pray, this is what I pray, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the what? So if you don't have knowledge, you won't really need the spirit of wisdom and revelation because you don't know anything. But as soon as you begin to know spiritual truths, you need the spirit of wisdom and, and understanding so that your knowledge begins to affect your life. We can know some things, but we don't really consider what they mean to us all the time. That's true for the Bible. You, you say Bible verses, you claim, you uh, repeat Bible verses, promises in the Bible, and fail to claim them. Fail to see that they're your promises. They're not just laying out there for somebody. God is no respecter of persons. He's not looking for another Paul so he can specifically bless them. He's looking for you. He wants this to be your reality. Paul says, my prayer is that you would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why? So that you may know the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says, this is what my prayer is for you. I want you to have the spirit of of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that the things that Jesus has accomplished for us make a difference in your life. One of them being the greatness of his power to usward. The power that God wants to use in our life. It's the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. He says, I want to use that in your life. Let me say this again. The same power that he used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he wants to use in your life. Do y'all get that? Maybe I should say it again. The same power that he used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he wants to use it in your life to change you. Man, somebody ought to be running the aisles. I'm talking about the same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead. He wants to use it to usward. He wants to put it in our lives. He wants to use that same power. What does that mean? It means I'll begin to understand what Jesus did for me. (laughs) What he did for me. I can begin to live in power. Oh, I don't mean that I can start blessing handkerchiefs and selling them people on TV. Amen? I'm talking about somebody in Sunday school said, what happens if when you try to talk to someone, they don't want to hear about it? I'm going to tell you something. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit on your life, you move into their life in power. The words you speak are no longer your words. They're They're the words of the Father with power spoken into lives, and they change. 
And I'm going to tell you something. We, we live so far below what God wants for us, we're not excited about anything. And I wonder why. I just wonder why are we not excited? Don't we know what's possibly, what the possibilities are for us? How did a, a little group of 100, 120 people in an upper room, how did they change a world? In 300 years, they became, 380 years, they became the Roman official religion. 30 million people by that time were believers in Christ. 30 million people. What happened? How'd they do that? A bunch of unlearned men. You can hear what they said. Well, after listening to them preach, the people said, well, we know they're unlearned men. They've been with Jesus. That must be what it is. People say that about us. It's Easter Sunday morning. And I want the understanding enlightened in our hearts and in our eyes. I want us to, to really understand that the knowledge we've accumulated over the years about Jesus is knowledge that he wants to use personally in our lives to transform us into being Christians, men, who are, men and women who are followers of Christ and who live in a world where people can tell that's exactly what you are. What is the inheritance of the saints? <laughs> oh, it's glory. It's heaven. Yes, it certainly is that. But I have another inheritance. You see, I'm a child of the king. <laughs> and when I speak as a child of the king, the spiritual kingdom has to take note of me. Well, Paul I know, and Simon Peter I know, and I know a couple of these other apostles, but who are you? Well, if we're where we should be, then the whole spiritual realm has to take note that we're followers of Christ and that he is alive in us. He's changing the world we live in. That is your Easter promise this morning. It's what should be your inheritance. It should be your life, the way you live your life. And I trust that it is. I hope that it is. If I could just close with this word, don't settle for less than God's best. Amen? We're going to have communion at this time. Um, is anybody helping serve or just want me to serve? Um, can we move the flowers? Because I will knock them over. I can promise you. We, uh, we ran out of coffee this morning. And I got this much in a cup. I was proud of it. And I got Nick back, next to my back to my table and knocked it over. I'm just saying. So you better move those flowers. Here I come. <clears throat> well, I'm going to go back up here because I have my Bible. <clears throat> just as we begin this, this morning, I'm going to do things probably a little differently. Those who will come for communion this morning, I'm going to ask if you would to, uh, we'll come down to the front here. Well, what did I do with it? Maybe I did leave it over there. I want to gather down here at the front. When we come down, just come down the center aisle. And I think we can all gather in right here. And then what I want to do is I want to, we'll pass out the elements. And then I want to take communion together. And I know for some of you, maybe you can't stand, and we'll, you can sit on the front rows here, but we'll serve you. We'll walk past and serve you. Um, and so if you just come down and gather, I'm going to see if I can find my... Oh. <clears throat> I 
Well, I don't know what I did with it. That's my other sermon. I have lost my, yeah, I don't know what I did with it. It's possible, I didn't think I did, but maybe I did. It's just two sheets folded over. But in case she can't find that. Didn't find it? Okay. All right. We're good. Did more than spill my coffee. Yeah, I'd be on the way home. It was here, though, because I had it before the service, so. Um, you know, a communion service is a little bit of an unusual thing. Even though the church has done this for a couple thousand years now, a lot of times we don't really think about what's happening here. And there are two elements to the communion ser service. There's the bread and the blood. Everybody knows those two elements. But they're kind of an unusual thing a little bit. Um, when Jesus says to the disciples, um, actually, if you look back, he preaches a sermon to the public. And he says that unless somebody eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they can't have any part of me. That's a pretty hard thing to preach if it's not been heard. Remember this, to the Jewish people, blood was forbidden. You couldn't. You couldn't eat blood. You couldn't eat meat with the blood in it. You had to drain all the blood out of meat. It was forbidden from, Gen from Genesis chapter 9 all the way through blood. Why? Because the life is in the blood. So blood was forbidden. And then Jesus comes along and he says, eat my flesh and drink my body, my blood. That was hard. We don't think about it because... It's normal for us. It's part of what we do. Maybe four times a year if you're a good Wesleyan church. Amen? But on Easter, in the Passover, this would have been a little bit different for the disciples. Because you didn't, you didn't eat somebody's flesh and you didn't eat, drink somebody's blood. So what was Jesus telling them? He was asking them to join him. Because he was about to give as a sacrifice his body for them. And he was saying to them, I want you to join me. Because in a very real way, when you take communion, what you do is you say, I'm taking part in the death of Christ. Remember, this is what he says. Remember me. Remember my death. This do in remembrance of me. What is he saying there? Join me in my death. Join me in the in the." letting of my blood 
Because when you do that, it becomes part of you. You're saying, I trust in what Jesus accomplished at Calvary. I want to be a part of that. I'm joining in with that. I'm, a, I'm a calling it mine. I'm making it part of me. And this is the reason it's so important that when you come to communion, it's asked that you regard your own heart, that you take into account who and where you are right now. Because you don't want to do this if you have things you haven't asked him to forgive you for. You want to come to him with a clean conscience that you have asked him to forgive you, you've repented of your sin, and you've received his forgiveness. And then you're ready. Remember, you, can't, you don't want to take your sin and put it on Jesus again. He's already dead, right? We don't do that again. So we take our, just a moment before we begin, and we say, Lord, check me out. See if there's anything in me that needs addressing. So before we begin this morning, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment, just you and the Lord, and you, if you need to ask for forgiveness, then you do that. Because that's uh, essential as part of what we do before we join in with communion. We ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, this time of real communion with you, where we identify with your accomplished work at Calvary. We ask, Lord, that you would work in our hearts all that needs done to make us more like your son. We want to be like Jesus. We thank you for what he did. We ask that you would bless these elements. You'd bless them, Father, to our betterment that if there is grace to be gained here at this table, we just send it our way. If there's some way we could be more like him, then, Father, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit to do that work in our hearts. And we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name. You want to take these? You want to take the bread? Just follow your mom around. We'll, um, we'll all hold the elements until we'll, we'll take them all together. I'll read a little scripture here. If you've done it already, it'll be okay.
The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my, by, my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's pray. I'll tell you what, let's um, join me in the Lord's Prayer. Can we do that? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, God bless you. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the life of Christ be alive and in you and with you as you go forth. God bless you. There's a trash can here for your cups. And um, I think that's good housekeeping there. Thank you. God bless you. Appreciate you being here this, this morning. God bless you, brother. Well, enjoyed it, man. Enjoyed it. Oh, thank you.